don't you look over at your neighbor and tell them they look good sitting in God's house today. Do you feel ill-equipped or unarmed to defend yourself against the attacks that you're currently enduring? Our society is full of fear, anxiety, depression, and just sheer brutal intimidation. I hear nearly on a weekly basis my anxiety is getting the best of me. I can't handle any more. And this is about to take me out. It seems that life is a constant struggle and full of battles. But according to Jesus, we have an enemy of our souls that wants nothing more to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God has intended for us. But Jesus said that he came that we could have life and life more abundantly. Who here today is ready to tear down your ways and adopt Christ's ways in your life? I encourage you to become unarmed and by doing so, Spiritual transformation can begin to happen. When you lay down or unarm yourself of natural arms, according to Apostle Paul, he called these vain philosophies. And otherwise, your opinion or what you think. And when we lay down those natural arms, we can become spiritually armed. And victory will become a reality in our lives. Are you ready to become victorious over death, hell, and the grave? Christ can get us there. Let's follow in his unarmed footsteps. So we're beginning this unarmed series today for the next few weeks leading up to Easter. How many is excited about Easter? I'm excited about Easter this year. Uh... We had our service in the auditorium last year here at Easter, and I had a wonderful experience. I'm expecting even greater things this year. When we met here in Easter, we didn't realize that come that fall that we would be back here meeting in the auditorium, which would allow us to grow. In the same way we are growing in number as a church, God desires for us to grow as individuals spiritually. So I want to read us from Ephesians chapter 6, a portion of scripture in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul drafted to a church where he had pastored for a season, and he was writing a letter back to them. That's what an epistle is, a letter written back to the church. So Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. This is verse 10 where we begin. 
It says, finally be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Close yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the rulers of this world, those in darkness. And it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all this, by taking up the shield of faith, which, we, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and all request for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray today that you would allow us to begin this journey through this sermon series to learn of you. And Lord, that you would allow us to put aside our ways and adopt your ways. That we could accept the reality that Christ Jesus come to this earth to show us the truth. And he told us that that truth would set us free. God, for those that are here in person today, for those that are watching online, for those that will listen to the podcast this week, God, I pray today that you would just allow your spirit to hover over us. That your spirit would come within us. And that you would change us from the inside out. And God, for the anxiety that is upon us as a people, that you would allow a peace that passes all understanding to come upon us. God, we pray for those today that are attending the funeral service of people that's near and dear to them. God, that you would be with them, that you would be with Brittany and the Bloomfield family. God, help us to be the people that you've called us to be and help us do the things you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone says amen. So to begin week one of this message series, I want us to think about perception. And you hear this often said that perception is reality. Has anyone ever heard that perception is reality? So if perception is reality and we don't like the reality that we're living in, then let's change our perception, our way of looking at things. And the more we focus on things, the more likely it is that we will travel in that direction. 
it really makes no sense, but if you're driving a vehicle down the road and Leslie claims I'm guilty of always gawking off at everything else that's going on other than the road directly in front of me, I can't help it. If I see a hawk on a line or if I see a groundhog over in the field or if, uh, I'm just noticing deer on the side of the road or whatever. She's never seen deer, so that won't be her problem. But I <laughs> 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 whoever deer ought to call, you'll be the first one in the line. But wherever you begin to look at that thing, you don't even have to think about it, but just subconsciously, you'll start drifting that way. Has anybody ever done that? You'll just be driving, and you begin to look at something, and you're paying attention to it. Next thing you know, you're, you think you're still going straight. Uh-oh, Tabby's pointing him out, Ryan. Poor guy. So, And you're driving, and the, and the farther you drive, the more you lean towards that thing. Even though you don't even really want to, you're not intending to, it's not your desire, but somehow it's just the way it works. It's so crazy whenever you see all those videos of uh, a policeman maybe pulling somebody over and you're driving up the road and you're paying attention to it and you're worried about what, what I need to do here. Maybe you get in a lane and there's somebody behind, beside of you and you can't get over and then you're in the, in the midst of that situation you're looking at the cop car trying to miss it and you saw them videos. How many cop cars get hit by cars traveling down the road because they're looking at it? And what if we would look at our spiritual lives the same way and say the reason I am off course or the reason I'm off the beaten path is because I've been looking at the wrong thing. I've been paying attention to the things that really shouldn't be concerning me. Basically, your nose will point you in the direction you'll go. Joe Don's the only one that said amen. The rest of you are lying if you don't believe that's true. Because usually nosy people have got their nose in everybody else's business, right? We need to prevent that from happening. But this perception ideal is something that I want us to think about in being unarmed. Because sometimes our perception is that I'm going to live this life that I'm living and I'm going to have the strength that I have because of something I have done or because of who I am or because of the upbringing that I have been reared by good godly people. And there's nothing wrong with those things. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the ways they should go and when they're old they won't depart from it. So there's nothing wrong with pointing people in the right direction. But in thinking about armor, and I thought about through the scriptures as a whole, and different verses just popped out in my mind when I was thinking about this unarmed series, that is a scripture that I think, as Christians, we should make a mental note of these and, and think through these things and let it be our perception. Because if it's our perception, it'll become our reality. And if I want any reality in my life, I want the Word to be the reality that I'm living can somebody say amen? As a Christian, our desire should be to be Christ-like. That's what a Christian is. Jesus said in John 1 that he is the word. 
that the word is him. So whenever we act out this word and focus on this word and point our nose in the direction of this word, our life will become the reality of the word. And the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, it says in Apostle Paul's writings. That it will pierce asunder and even go to the bone and tomorrow, to the very core, the center of our being. The word of God will get there if we desire it to. So in perceiving these things, I want to think about this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If we let that verse be a perception that we're living, that we're going to live that out, it's going to be how I conduct myself in my daily affairs. The weapons I do have are not carnal. That means I do not need a physical sword or a physical shield or a physical breastplate or a physical set of shod over our feet or protecting our feet that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, that those are spiritual in nature, not physical. Let's perceive this to be true because the Word of God is true. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many feels like you face an enemy that is greater than you're able to conquer? Hopefully it's everybody here, because if you think you can beat up the devil, you're mistaken. <laughs> we are no match for his devices. We are no match for his ability to trick. If Adam and Eve in a place of perfection in a Garden of Eden was not able to withstand the attack of the enemy, we need to step back and say we was proven through humanity what we're capable of. We're not capable of beating him at his own game. But thank God that the Father sent his son Jesus on this planet called earth so that he could live here and teach us principles and ways and manners to beat the attack of the enemy. So we're not in a battle with the enemy on our own two feet. Our armor is not something physical that we can take upon ourselves to learn things according to the principles of this world, to win this war. So in thinking of that, I, I was thinking of in the New Testament and how that Jesus is the picture for our how to live our life, how to conduct ourselves. Pastor Chris Hodges this past week on the podcast they're going through the Church of the Highlands. They're going through a sermon series, and it's leading up through the final week of Jesus' life here on this earth. And he talked about how many chapters of the New Testament Gospels are arranged. And it's a major percentage of the Gospels. is just like we studied the last series about Joseph, how that there's so many of the book of Genesis is attested to Joseph's story. In the New Testament Gospels, so much of the Gospels that we read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
are geared around the final week of Jesus' life. He lived 33 and a half years, but the authors of those books were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down words about the final week of Jesus' life. He tried to tell his disciples that a bad time was coming, but they wouldn't listen. He had spent three and a half years teaching these disciples of living day to day with them. And we know some of the stories from the beginning of the Gospels of, of you know, the um, marriage feast that he went to initially. The first miracle of Christ was turning the water to wine. We know the story of the woman at the well. We know all these stories that lead up to this. We know the story of Jesus standing at his best friend's tomb named Lazarus and telling him to come forth, raising the dead to life. They had saw miracles happen in front of their very eyes. They could believe the words that he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew, he goes through those things in just multiple chapters that is about the Sermon on the Mount, the first sermon Jesus provided to us. But he's gearing them up and he's aiding them to be of the mindset so that they could begin to perceive things that he was telling them that it was truth. If I tell you I'm going to go to the tomb and I'm Jesus and we're going there and Lazarus is going to come out today, you better be walking up behind me thinking, man, we're getting to go see a resurrection of the dead. If Jesus tells you something, Faith will cause you to believe that even though it seems impossible in this natural world. Well, I've been to funerals before and I didn't see that person raised from the dead. You know what I'm saying? It's easy for us to step back and say, well, no, that's, that won't happen. That can't go that way because I'm a natural believer. But we're not in a natural battle. We're in a spiritual battle. So as Jesus says it, that finishes it. That concludes it. So leading up this last week, Matthew chapter 26, and this is in the final hours of Jesus' life. It's what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So Jesus knows his hours are coming to a close. And what does he do? He prays. So when you're facing a spiritual battle that seems bigger than you, and it seems like, how am I going to get out of this situation? And it seems like gloom and doom, and the enemy is painting this picture of you're not going to make it through this. It's not going to, you're, you're, you're going to perish here. It's the end of it all, and your story is over. Whenever he begins to tell you those things, what you need to begin to do is pray. Prayer changes things. So whenever he goes up on this hill to pray, he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he became, became anguished and distressed. So as he's praying, the weight of the world is resting on his shoulders. This was God in the flesh that had lived 33 and a half years of perfection. He had never sinned. And as his final day is concluding on him and the weight of sin begins to bear down on him, he is anguished and distressed. When we go through situations in our life and it seems like the enemy is kicking us in the teeth, we get anguish and we're distressed. 
We become depressed. We're oppressed. And as we face these situations, what shall we do, church? Pray. Then he comes back to his disciples and he told his disciples, you're going to pray with me, but I'm going up on the hill a little farther. And, whenever, and when he comes back down here, it, this verse right here, verse 38, then he said to them, he became anguished and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved and even to the point of death, remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself down and faced the ground and prayed. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. If God would have answered the first part of that request, we would not be saved today. But I'm glad Jesus didn't start and stop with his will. He finished his prayer and he was praying for something, and that's like us. We go to God, and wherever we pray, we go to him, and we'll begin to ask him things, and, and we're heaping upon ourselves what all we need, what all I want, what all I think, what all I, I believe. But we need to end our prayers with, not my will, but yours. Because sometimes what I think is best for me is not what's best for me. Is anybody else guilty? Praying prayers, and it's mostly just to gain for our own self. That we're not praying for the benefit of others, but we're praying for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with praying that God would come through for you. But we need to end it with, not my will, but yours be done. Crosby's having a big old day. He was singing really good. He was on tune. He was doing good a while ago. Verse 40 says, then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. How would you like to invest three and a half years in 11, 12 individuals, and during your last supper that you just had previously, one of those 12 went off and was selling you for 30 pieces of silver, selling you out, one of your best friends on this earth. If you've got 12 friends, you got a lot. One of Jesus' 12 friends went off and betrayed him. They was, he was selling him. And then he goes up on this hill to pray, and he takes his other 11 with him and says, come up here and let's go pray. Let's go have a prayer meeting. This is somewhat symbolic of the church today. Call you a good old-fashioned prayer meeting and see how many show up. But we can call for a big buffet meal, and we'll all show up. Amen? We're buffet busters, ain't we, as Leslie calls them. Buffet busters. Call for a prayer meeting, very few will be here. But Jesus knows the importance of prayer. So as he goes back down to see what his 11 disciples are up to, found them sleeping, he said to Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for an hour? And he wakes him up. And he tells him, stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Listen to this. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My carnal nature is weak. If I try to fight against the wiles of the evil one, and I try to overcome these battles that I'm facing in life and these situations that I'm facing, and I'm trying to do it on my own accord, and my own account, and my own abilities, 
The flesh is weak. Has anybody proven this to be true? The more you try to fix things, the worse things got. If I could have fixed my life, I surely would have because I tried to fix myself a lot prior to salvation. But once I become saved, I realize he could fix more in an instant at an altar of prayer than I could in a lifetime trying to align my life with a purpose that I thought was right for me. God can do more in an instant than we can in an eternity. So why do we not give over our ways to his way? So he tells Peter this, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> Verse 22, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. He came again and found them sleeping. They could not keep their eyes open. Apparently, Jesus' thought to them that their flesh was weak was a reality in what they were doing. Because if you're sitting there in the middle of a prayer meeting and you begin to think, man, I cannot stay awake. I, I'm not going to be able to stay up all night in one of these prayer meetings. Anybody ever been to one of those all-night prayer meetings, old-fashioned church where you went and it's all night long? You're just going to stay awake and pray all night. I remember going to those. One time at Raceland Assembly, went up there and there's a pretty good crowd. It was a church, about 400 people. I would say there's maybe 50 people showed up for the prayer meeting. They was praying. Music was playing. People was decreeing, declaring, walking around prophesying. They was believing God for great and mighty things, and those are good things to do. And about an hour into it, the crowd had diminished about half. Next thing you know, the quieter it got, the more solemn it got, that the motions of the music had wore off. It went even down even farther. The next thing you know, I was sitting there thinking, I'm the new Christian. I grew up in church. I was raised to know better. I'm glad God saved me. I'm revigorated. I'm, I'm renewed. I'm refreshed. I'm strengthened. I'm going to get through this thing called life with joy. I'm just thankful to be here in a church house where people love God and love people. And I'm sitting there, and I begin to pray, and, you know, the quieter it gets and the more solemn it gets. And next thing you know, looking around, and there's very few people left. It was less than ten. And the quieter it gets, the more you look around what everybody else is doing, the less focused you are on God. Everybody else is just sitting over there quiet, reading in their Bible or something. Next thing you know, I woke up hours later. Is anybody else one of those people that just drool when you sleep? I, I mean, it's just awful, especially it's according to how I'm laying. If I don't have a pillow, it's going to be a bad day. If I fall asleep in my recliner, I, I'm going to have snot and stuff all my, well, not in my hair. I, I shaved it off yesterday, but, I mean, it just gets all over you. It's like, yuck, wherever you wake up and it's just sticky and your face is stuck to the recliner and you're like, oh, my goodness. But here I was in the church on the front row, literally the front row of the church, asleep. I'm sure I'd been snoring. And the people there were probably thinking, what is this clown doing? I was praying in my sleep, I guess. I don't know. But when I woke up, and I woke up, and there was a place literally this big, discolored, by the drool from my mouth because I couldn't stay awake. I'll never forget that. 
because it proved my humanity of who I thought I was versus who I really was. But our perception is what aims us in a direction. And if I would have quit being focused on the hype of what was going on in the room and truly been in tune with God and not worried about how many people left or how many people stayed, would I have been able to stay awake? If my focus would have been on Him, would I have stayed awake? Worst thing is, this happened at other points in my life. Me and my friend Andrew, he would call me sometimes in the wee hours of the morning, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. He lived in Ashland. I lived in Lewis County. He'd say, let's go to the church and pray. Pastor Wells, a teenage kid, a teenager that loved to pray, Pastor Wells gave him a key to that building. He said, if you guys want to go pray, go pray. Andrew called me. Man, we got to get to the church. We're going to go pray. I'm thinking, Andrew, i got to go to work in the morning. You're going to get up and go to school, and you've got an easy day. i got to work. But I never did tell him no. If he called me, I went. Because I wanted to be an example to young people that we need to be present when people feel anguish in their soul. And I would go there and I would pray with him. And there's other times that I would wake up asleep with drool on the pew. And looking back, I f- feel like I may have let God down, but I think God was grateful that I was willing to go. And I'm sure that even though Jesus found Peter here asleep on this mountainside, he was still glad they was there, even if they was asleep. But he tells them to wake up. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour's approaching, and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. It says... Here, get up, let's go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. So Judas had went away and he went to the Sanhedrin and he went to the officials of the Jewish sect and he got them and the chief priest, priest and he, he'd give an account of who Jesus was and what all Jesus was doing wrong. One of Jesus' very disciples was selling him out. And whenever he got there, he told him, he said, whenever we go back and I'm going to take you with me, and when we go back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kiss the cheek of Jesus because they despised him because he was turning over their tables in Jerusalem temple. He had opposed their ways because they had got so far from God that they didn't even really understand who he was. Jesus was setting things straight. And he said, look, my betrayer is approaching. And can you imagine Jesus staying up for this prayer meeting and knowing his hour is coming and he's looking down through here and he sees him approaching and he tells his disciples wake up for the last time let's go and as they head down off the Gethsemane hill that they look and Judas is coming at him while he was still speaking Judas one of the twelve arrived with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs they wasn't unarmed they were armed And they were sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people. Verse 48, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one which I kissed was a man, arrest him. Verse 49, immediately he went to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi. And Judas had just sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and kisses him on the cheek. 
Can I tell you, people will let you down. But Jesus said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will go with you even to the end of the age. So Jesus is standing here unarmed, being approached by an army that are armed. And so many times in our life, that's how we feel. We're sitting there unarmed. I can't do this anymore. And as I begin this sermon series out, that, that we're overwhelmed, we're just perplexed on every side, that situations of life, it just seems like it is attacking us. And I don't know where to go. I don't know if I'm going to get through another day of this. I don't know how much more I can take. And that's our perception. Because we're looking at the troubles that we're facing when we need to be looking at God, the one that has saved our souls. And it doesn't matter what I face here in this physical earth that I'm living in. It's about my eternal destination of where I'm going to live eternity. That I'm going to face situations here in this life. And I assure you, I have faced some situations in my life. And I know there's many in this room, and I, I've heard your stories whenever we go out to eat with you and, and hang out with you and things. I've, I've heard you talk about the darkness and the doom and the despair and how the enemy attacks you. I understand. Jesus did too. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's God in the flesh, and he's standing here unarmed before an army getting ready to attack him. Jesus is painting a picture for you. Do not worry about their armament. Be unarmed, but you have an armor of spirituality that will oppose what they're doing. I can handle what this world throws at me. Why? Because God says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus is here today through the Holy Spirit strengthening us in this room to tell us you may feel like you're unarmed. You may feel like you don't have the capability of getting through this storm. But let me tell you today, there is no mountain high enough that God will not be with us. There's no valley deep enough that God will not be with us. He is with you. You are armed. And it's a spiritual armament that is better than in the physical. You are not alone. Listen to this next verse. That Jesus standing here and his, one of his 12 best friends on this planet kisses him on the cheek. Listen to this word. Jesus said to him, Judas, the person that kissed him, that sold him for 30 pieces of silver, friend, that's what he called him, friend. Do what you have to do. And they came and took hold of Jesus, and they arrested him. What if we understood that the weapons of our warfare were not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? What if we truly understood that in Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul was telling the church at Ephesus that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers of things present that we cannot see, 
the battles that you're facing, it may look like in a human form that that human being is opposing you, that is tearing you down, that is stripping you of everything that you know is true, and it feels like I cannot face this anymore, and it feels so personal because it's an individual doing it. What if you would look at them and say, friend? (laughs) If we want to be like Christ, that's what we have to do. Because people will let you down, but God will never let you down. And yes, he may be in this situation, Jesus, but he knows his hour and his day is coming. And he told his disciples this, that the the Son of Man will be laid in the ground for three days and he'll raise again. He's prophesying these things to them, but they cannot hear because they're not listening spiritually. They're listening with their carnal mind. They're thinking he's going to set up a kingdom. He's not doing that. Verse 50, Jesus said to them, Friend, do what you have to do here. They came and took him and arrested him. But one of those with Jesus, there's always one of these in the crowd. But one of those with Jesus, one of the twelve, grabbed his sword, drew it out, and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place. For all who take hold of the sword will die by the sword. You do not think that I can call my father and that he will send more than 12 legions of angels right now. How then would the scriptures that say it must happen this way must be fulfilled? At that moment, Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me like you would an outlaw? Day after day I sat teaching in the temple courts, yet you did not arrest me. But this happened so that the scripture of the prophet would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So when they arrested him, sure Judas sold him out. And sure Judas kissed him on the cheek and defiled the very son of God that he was a disciple of. But it says here that the remaining eleven abandoned him. When I'm thinking about that, it, it just comes down to, what's my perception? Am I perceiving that I'm going to lose this battle? So look at this yourself. What, what are you facing today? What situations is going on in your life? What individuals do you know, your friends, your loved ones, your family, that's abandoned you, that's forsaken you, that's left you high and dry, and it feels like you're being opposed on every front? How am I going to get through this? Is anybody yet with me? I wonder how many of us thinks like Peter I'll never deny you Jesus Jesus said there's going to be a rooster crow three times and you're going to deny me Peter it's going to work you are not going to stand tall you've got a sword he was armed with a sword he cut off this guy's ear but he didn't have the spiritual armor to take care of the situation when we think we can do it ourselves, we are destined to fail stop perceiving you can fix the troubles in your life Stop thinking you're capable of handling it on your own. I 
I remember being in the ninth grade. And we had junior high then, back in those days, the olden times. That the junior high was over to middle school, and I went through seventh, eighth, and ninth grade at the middle school, and high school was over here, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade. And I remember I signed up for typing because I was a nerd ball and didn't know no better. And <laughs> but if you was in ninth grade over there in the middle school, you had to walk over here to the vocational school. to take those classes. And bullying is something that's a reality in the life we're living today. And the teachers in the room understand this. You know this. Parents, you hear your kids come home. I've seen it on Facebook this past week of kids in our community that come home Tears in their eyes, don't know how they're going to get through the day, saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather just quit. I'd rather lose my education than put up with a bully. And I faced those things myself. In the ninth grade, I was four foot eleven. There was only one kid shorter than me in the ninth grade. Another boy. All the girls were a lot higher than us. Jordan, you was way taller than I was. I was four foot eleven. It may seem like we're incapable of handling those situations, but let me tell you something, young people. Don't look at those bullies. They may be bigger than you physically, but you're sitting here getting the word of God today, they're not bigger than you spiritually. Because if they're bullying you, they're not being Christ-like. And if I have Christ, I have enough. And I can face these adversities the same way Jesus did. And whenever you're getting bullied, it's usually the situation where all the other ones, just like on the Christmas story, that everybody takes off running and you're standing there and you're going to take it out yourself. You may be the smallest. You may be the weakest. You may be voted on by your peers to be the least likely to succeed. But hide and watch and see if God, if what God says about you isn't true. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are the victor and not the victim that Dusty told you last week. Bible says that we are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Begin to perceive, I am a winner. I am a overcomer. I am a victim. Not a victim, but a victor. I can do all things that Christ has called me to do. Everybody say those things with me. Say, I am a vic victim. Victor. I keep going back to that. I am a victor. Say it with me. I am a victor. Not a victim. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our perception. Let that be our focus. If perception is a reality and we don't like that reality, that we're living, then let's change our perception. Hopefully we'll leave here today with a new perception of being unarmed in the natural 
but we're heavily armed in the spiritual. Are you tired of fighting the battle yourself with your own power? Life is for living. Accept Christ and his principles in your life today and live according to his teachings and see if your life don't transform and change in a way that he promises it will. Not saying you won't face those things. The battles will always be there. Even as a Christian, we still face battles. God is asking us to rise up and do the things he's asked us to do. If you would, please stand. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes, if you will. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would that you would just move upon our hearts. And God, I pray that you would change perceptions in this place today. That as we walk out of this place, that we would be refreshed and renewed and strengthened. And that your word would be a reality in our life. And God, I pray today that you would give us clarity of mind and that you would allow us to choose you and choose your ways just as Christ Jesus did. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask this first and foremost. I don't know the situation of every person in this room. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've heard these words and you've heard my testimony and you're sitting here and you're thinking, Pastor, I've done what you said you did. I tried to fix it all myself. And I've made a mess of my life. And the Holy Spirit in Jesus is beckoning on my heart's door right now. And he's asking me to give my life to him. That I would lay down my natural armor for his spiritual armor. If that's you, I want you to just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Amen. 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 There's hands all over the room, and that's an awesome thing. And if you, Jesus said, if I knock on your heart's door and, and you invite me to come in, I will come in and sup with you. So the second you raised your hand, you're accepting Jesus, and you're saying, I want you to be Lord of my life and master of my life. 
He is coming in that instant. There isn't a special prayer that you have to pray. There isn't special words that you have to say. Scripture says he knows your heart. Men look on the outward appearance of man, but God looks upon the heart. He knows your heart, and as you desire him, he is desiring you. And it's an awesome thing that you're going to walk out of this place today renewed and refreshed and strengthened by God and knowing, wow, I gave my life to Jesus, and I, I beg of you, call somebody that you know that's a Christian that if you've got a parent or a grandparent or maybe an aunt or uncle or somebody in your family or maybe somebody you work with, call and let them know today was my day. I gave my life to Christ. And when you begin to confess that, your perception is changing and your reality is changing. You're going to point in a whole new direction. The Bible says that old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. But I know that this message isn't just for those that are accepting salvation today. There's Christians in this room, nobody looking around. No, don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. I just want to know how to pray for our church. If you're in this place today and you've been facing a battle and there's been situations and your Christianity and it seems like the enemy is just kicking your teeth in and you're, you're tired and you're overwhelmed and it seems like you're just overcame by anxiety, by depression, by fear, by stress. And the world is weighing on your shoulders and you're standing here today and saying, Pastor, I want a perception change. I'm ready to turn those things over to God and say, not my will, but yours be done. If that's you, just lift up your hand, Christian, anywhere. Amen, amen, amen. Hands all over the room. That is awesome. 